0: In Camden Town, I'll meet you at the underground In Camden Town, we'll walk there as the sun goes down In Camden Town
1: Welcome to Camden as the official podcast for the Camden Clean Air Initiative with me, Jeffrey Young. In this podcast series, we get to know and discover the lives of Camdeners, those special individuals shaping the unique and vibrant culture of the borough of Camden. Today we talk with Dr. Jack Stilgo, Associate Professor of Science and Technology at UCL London, as we explore some of the technological advancements shaping the future of the borough of Camden. Welcome, Jack.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Nice to be here.
1: I managed to hear of some other sort of talks you gave, and it was absolutely fascinating. So... I thought we, we need to have you here for Camdeners. I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're involved in. Yeah. So, I mean, th- the day job, if you like, of being a
0: university academic is that I do a lot, of, a lot of teaching. And a lot of my teaching is on a course that we call Science, Technology and Society, which is all about the various ways in which science and technology play a part in our lives. Um, the particular bit of that that I've always been interested in and that I've that I've always worked on is what we do about new technologies. So I think we're sort of all aware that new technologies are really important to us. Um, maybe we're particularly aware of a particular set of new technologies at the moment when we're all locked into our homes and all of our conversations are mediated through technologies that maybe we weren't that familiar with a year, a year ago. Um but the question with when it comes to new technologies is how do we make good decisions as societies about those new technologies so that we get more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff so that we can ensure that the benefits of those new technologies um, get spread pretty widely rather than just all the benefits uh, accruing to people that are already rich and well off and uh, have plenty of of, of options uh, anyway. Um, and it's with that sort of interest that i've that i've got involved in the discussion about self-driving cars because basically whenever there's a new technology where the innovators the entrepreneurs get hugely overexcited generate a huge amount of hype my ears prick up and i wonder well are we right, asking the right questions about about that new technology so that's why i've ended up doing a lot of work on on uh, self-driving cars. I'm running a big research project at the moment on self-driving cars, alongside all the all the uh, the, the teaching that I do, um, and that's where I am now.
1: Wow. Well, what what, what took you to beginnings of science uh, in general? What what where did that spark come from to get it, want to get involved in new technology? Um, I think probably a set of accidents. So um, a
0: decade and a half ago, I was working for a policy think tank. And I realized that a lot of the sort of political issues um, that seemed to be most interesting at the cutting edge of, of political debate seemed to be about science and technology. I then ended up working as a policy person at a place called the Royal Society, which is Britain's National Academy of Sciences. So hanging out with the sort of the, the cream of the crop of, of British of British science. Um, and the more issues came across my desk that related to new technologies, the more I realized, well, actually, you know, this is, I think, is where is where the action is. So I sort of devoted my career to it.
1: Wonderful. Well, um, I, we, we want to pick your brains about the other new technologies that are going to be impacting our lives here in London and within the borough of Camden. But we um, understand that you have a, a really big and passion for self-driving cars and autonomous vehicles yeah I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what what's going on in the the world of self-driving cars, and how does that relate how could that relate to Camden?
0: Yeah, so I mean there's a there's a really interesting I mean self-driving cars is a there's a sort of um, there's a paradox which which is in in a sense, right, a self-driving car ten years ago, 15 years ago, would have been seen as completely impossible. Right, it would have been seen as as a form of magic. Now, in 2021, um, there are some places in some parts of the world, in some circumstances, where you can get in a car without a driver and go from one place to another, right? Which is one of those those sort of moments of technological progress that could induce a form of whiplash. And you just think, well, how did that happen? And how did it happen so quickly? Um and that has led some technologists to say well obviously that means in the near future just in the same way as you know s- 10 years after facebook was created everybody was using facebook so 10 years after the first self driving car is created all cars will be self driving right and there, there so there is a sort of massive hype about the potential for computers to take over driving from human beings. and We know the problems with humans driving cars, that they're they're on the whole dangerous and they're unreliable and it's not very efficient. Um, And yet, my sense from having looked at this for a few years is that self-driving cars are not like other forms of technology. And that even if you can imagine a self-driving car trundling around the suburbs of Phoenix, Arizona, as it is doing at the moment. um, It's still really hard to imagine self-driving cars making a difference to people in in inner London in the next few years, because London is just a very different sort of place. And it isn't the sort of technology where you can just pick up a technology from one place and drop it into another. So I think there's something really interesting about, you know, those of us in the inner ring of london wondering how and 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 whether this technology will make a, a, a difference for us and it and it makes us i think ask important questions about how technologies do actually change the world and how sometimes they fail to live up to their promises
1: so phoenix arizona that's one part of the world that there are some i, I guess is it more than pilot projects are, are there any um examples where you know it really is looking very promising in other parts of the world where or applications where self-driving is a no-brainer, you know, say in the next five years? So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's important to think about why Phoenix, Arizona. So in
0: Phoenix, Arizona, there's a, a, a company called Waymo that used to be um, a part of Google, and they are running, I mean, quite a few now, uh, driverless cars which you can order in, using a sort of Uber app and, 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 and trundle around. Um, on not all of their roads, but on some of their roads within a within a, um, a certain a certain radius, and thinking about you know why why did Waymo choose Phoenix? Well, Phoenix is already a car friendly place. It's not a good place to be a pedestrian. It's not a good place if you want to get on public transport because the public transport links are pretty awful. It's a place that was created around the car, um, and there are some other places where pilot projects are happening. Um, which are also, you know, car-dependent places. So in Britain, there's a lot of experimentation happening in and around Milton Keynes, for obvious reasons. Right, the roads are sort of quite, quite friendly, quite predictable. Not so great to be a pedestrian, but you know they're designed for and around around driving. I think the interesting thing about inner London is that the city predates the motor car by, you know, a, a, a few thousand years, and that makes it a much harder place for a car to 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 navigate and those of us that, that that live in London you know feel that when we try and when we try and get around but that does mean that it's an easier place to get on public transport an easier place to uh, to be a pedestrian so from my perspective you know the future of the self-driving car is tied pretty intimately to the type of city um that 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 we live in, which might mean, for example, that that self driving cars make a difference in some areas of of London and 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 fill in some some gaps. It might mean that some bits of London get redesigned so that they are um, more amenable to a to a self driving car. Um, and interestingly, I think there's there's some companies that are actually testing in London, testing their self driving cars in London. So they're a bit you know further behind Waymo in that you can't but you can't your place in one of these cars now but they're testing in london precisely because it is hard yeah and if you're if you're if you're generating a lot of computer software using artificial intelligence london being a hard case um is quite interesting it makes for a more interesting experiment
1: yeah and, and the borough of camden is probably one of the toughest neighborhoods with a lot of uh, a lot of traffic a lot of pedestrians a lot of public transport so it might it might be some time until it comes to our world you're saying
0: it might be or people you know might find that these technologies turn up in particular parts of their world and not others so you know you might you might see little driverless shuttles mm. tootling around at relatively low speeds on campuses or on or in in suburbs and it's also important to remember that you know there are some driverless forms of transport already in london right they're not cars but you know, if you get on the Victoria Line, if you get on the Docklands Light Railway, those trains are not controlled by drivers on board, on board the vehicles. Um, but the reason that those work is because the system is an um, extremely predictable and extremely sort of neat and tidy system, um, which makes it an easier engineering problem. You know, the idea of putting a robot into a world that also has pedestrians crossing all over the place, buses police horses, bicycles, you know, all of those things that are everyday sites in a place like uh, like Camden, that looks a lot harder.
1: Okay. And, sp- and so speaking sort of um, more generally about sort of vehicles in, in Camden, where do you see, you know, this sort of revolution in green tech impacting? Uh, do you see it's, it'll, it, you know, that we are really going to have a, a sort of a fully electrified fleet of vehicles all across London sooner rather than later? Do you feel that's going to gain a lot of momentum in the next, you know, three to five years?
0: So I think if you're th- if you're thinking about sustainable transport I mean the first thing I would say is that there's nothing inevitably that means that yep. that uh, a self-driving car needs to be an electric car um but you know a lot of the people developing self-driving cars are also developing electric versions of that cars because probably they know that that's the way the wind is blowing um but I think if we're thinking about sustainable mobility we have to think about all of it together now a big part of that is probably the electrification of, of privately owned cars and of fleets of cars like um, like minicabs. Um, and there, you know, I think we can be relatively confident that that the fleet will, you know, that the, the trends are looking pretty good in that regard and that the numbers of people who are able to buy electric cars who do keep going up and up. And that if we get the infrastructure right, right, the charging infrastructure right, then maybe that's a sort of that that looks like an inevitable trajectory. I mean, there are there are some difficult things like you know a lot of those sort of systems make sense in worlds in which everybody is parking their car outside their own house on their own driveway, like in lots of parts of America. In places like Camden, where a lot of the parking is on street, it becomes a bit harder to charge your electric car overnight. Um, but I see, you know, this is, I I think any, any strategy in that regard has to also include things to do with, you know, livable streets has to do with public transport fleets, the decarbonization of public transport as well. Um, but getting, getting more people into, into active travel, walking and cycling and there, you know, I mean, um, Camden, Camden knows that, and is a, a is a, a relatively walkable walkable place. So the the opportunities look pretty good there. I think we're seeing some interesting things with COVID that a lot of councils are doing experiments in um, in reconfiguring transport with low traffic neighbourhoods and things that are causing some some controversy, perhaps predictably. But it's quite interesting to see. The councils themselves doing those experiments, rather than, you know, the people who normally do the experiments, who the the, the tech companies who will come in with their new their new widget and say, uh, let us let us play around with our widget on on your streets.
1: So, if you were advising the powers that be within the borough of Camden about sort of creating a more sustainable mobile sort of ecosystem, what would you want to happen?
0: I think the important thing is to is to try to do it is to try to do it all holistically, okay? So there's a danger that, and, and, and maybe the lesson here is from, is from history. So, you know, the danger is of sleepwalking into a particular set of new technologies that are sold as being amazingly safe, amazingly green, amazingly efficient, amazingly beneficial. Um, but when we see the reality of those technologies, we see all of the complications that always come with new technologies, and the lesson there is from, say, the arrival of the motor car into cities what a hundred years ago, or say or so when when motor cars really took off, and particularly in American cities that were growing at the time, a lot of American cities sort of acquiesced to the motor car in ways that they later realized were really problematic. so you know pedestrians were told to get out of the roads for their own safety um public transport systems were were cleared out and the car which offered huge amounts of of freedom and huge opportunities for people um became the dominant mode of travel in in a lot of places and that was great in you know it's great for people's personal freedoms it was great for people's economic opportunities um but also it impacted on their lives in ways that they only understood later. So when we think about something like um a self-driving car, or indeed any other, you know, new technology like like an electric car fleet, right? We need to think about how it fits with other with other things. Does more of this form of mobility mean that it will have impacts on other forms of mobility? Does it make it less likely that people will will um uh, walk and cycle around around our, our inner cities, and, and do we mind that? And all of that needs to be needs to be joined up. And if you just listen to the technological hype, that isn't that isn't uh, joined up. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a good idea for local authorities to engage in responsible experimentation. Right? I think it's 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 good for places to be. Um, laboratories, in a sense, laboratories for new ideas, laboratories for new possibilities, new ways of, of of getting around. I mean, it's probably worth noting that Camden is actually home to a really interesting self-driving car company who've been testing their technology on the streets just north of King's Cross, where you know there's so much new tech activity. A company called Wave, Wave with a with a Y, um, who've been Testing their self-driving cars around Camden, precisely because it is a hard case, and Wave would say that they're doing it, you know, responsibly so that they're not endangering anybody, which is what you would um, what you would uh, uh, hope for, um, and that's quite exciting, right? It's quite exciting that um, that that places can be laboratories for the the playing out of of new ideas, but it's also you know Camden itself should be part of that experiment would be my argument
1: I wonder if if you may be able to share from your research what other new exciting technologies do you think you're going to see going to cities you know uh, you know beyond the autonomous vehicles and beyond maybe electrical vehicles what what else are you excited about and, and and what else is your research pointing to well so when i when I think about new technologies
0: i I always try to see both sides of them um so I would say. You know, if you listen to the, the the tech people, you will always get plenty of excitement about, say, you know, if you're a city, there will always be plenty of tech people that will want to sell the benefits of technologies that come under the umbrella of what are sometimes called smart cities. Right. So they will be technologies of of uh, data gathering that provide cities with more information so that cities can, in principle, make better decisions about uh, resource allocation. About who's doing what can make them better places to uh, to start and and run businesses and better places for for people to live and 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 get around. So smart city technologies, you know, the potential there is really is really exciting, and the potential if you're a, a citizen is that those technologies could be emancipatory, right? They could increase your freedoms as a as a citizen. But the trouble is that the reality of the technology often doesn't live up to the hype. And often the questions around those technologies, like, um, for example, what, what does that mean for people's privacy? Um, what does it mean for where that, where that data is being monetized? Who's benefiting from the, um, from the value that that data, that data generates? Often those questions don't get asked until, until it's too late, so cities end up being taken by surprise. I mean, in Camden, so um just north of, of us at University College London in the in the new development at King's Cross, there was a controversy a couple of years ago to do with um facial recognition technology that they were putting up around around King's Cross. Right. And the assumption would be that that people would like this because it would, you know, make the place safer, in effect. But actually there was an outcry that, you know, this was um an imposition on people's freedoms it was a contravention of their of their of their privacy and the scale of the of the public controversy took the developers in king's cross by surprise so people like me would say yes let's get excited about new technology but let's have a rounded discussion about the goods and the bads of 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 what that might be some of those things aren't clear right sometimes we don't know who the winners and who the losers will be what the benefits and what the risks uh, will be but it it does behove us as as um uh local authorities to to make good
1: informed decisions about the rollout of those technologies Well, are lucky we have very smart people like yourselves um researching uh, these topics so that we can make those smart decisions yeah i wonder if you could Paint a picture. Of what could we see for Camden? What, what what could Camden look like in ten years' time? I mean, what kinds of things could we hope to see pragmatically?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So you know, if if we get technology right, what does the what does the the outcome outcome look like? And particular, you know, you could maybe it, it's difficult to say technology in general, but if you focus on say technologies for mobility, just you know, what does what does what does the particular vision of the good life look like? I mean, the first thing to say is that different people will have a different idea about what the good life is. And we shouldn't pretend that there's a sort of consensual utopia out there. But if you get mobility technologies right, you know, you can you can start to imagine places where rather than being those the, the places that are built around particular technologies... The technologies are designed into those places in order to serve particular ends, right? So you can imagine starting from the question of, you know, what does a what does a livable city look like? What would we like our lives to be like in Camden? And then, how does the technology feed that idea? Otherwise, you know, you let the the, the technological means become ends in themselves, which is which is uh, dangerous. Um, there is something I think quite interesting because Camden is changed so quickly in terms of, you know, developing tech clusters, developments around my own own university, you know, about what what sort of an innovative place Camden could become if we get right the sorts of interactions that we know are necessary in order to create innovative innovative places. Um, That's particularly interesting. I think, though, there's also a sort of cautionary tale from the last... Year, which for anybody in a in an inner city, you know, they're left thinking, well, you know, at the moment cities cities aren't really fulfilling their purpose, right? People aren't moving around cities, bumping into each other. We are missing out on whatever innovative serendipitous interactions um, we 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 once had, and therefore, you know, does that mean that cities will get hollowed out? Does that mean people are realising, well, I don't need to live in a city in order to work? I can just work from home, wherever. Or are people, you know, learning afresh the advantages of, of urban, urban living? And I don't know, I don't know where we are on that, on that question. I just know that, you know, it's a really interesting and complicated question for, um, for city planners and city leaders to be asking themselves right now.
1: As a as a professor at UCL and a fellow of the Alan Turing Institute, what is it that you like about working and researching in Camden?
0: To the point about the advantages of of inner London and inner London's maybe current identity crisis as it as it goes through a a, a pandemic. Let me let me just start by you know the sort of common frustrations you'll hear from UCL academics, which is that it's very, very cramped, right? You look at American universities and you see these gorgeous, expansive campuses. And we at UCL are all crammed together a little bit. Um, but I think that creates something quite exciting. And it sort of goes to the heart of of what cities are for and why it's good to have a university stuck right in the heart of one of the busiest parts of one of the busiest cities in, in, in the world. And the proximity the interactions do create something very special right and it's not just the convenience of having stuff on your doorstep if you need to you know engage in whatever it is whether it's a- economic activity cultural activity social activity uh, uh, anything else there's something that comes from the serendipitous interactions that well i'm most likely to have with other academics but also you know, with 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 companies, with uh, NGOs, with everybody else that's based very close. I mean, I I spend most of my travel around around Camden, around London, is is on a bike, and it's amazing the things that I'm able to to do, the things, the places I'm able to get to within within fifteen minutes. Ah, uh, just present an, an extraordinary set of opportunities.
1: Would that be an electric bike by any chance? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but I
0: figure as, as as my legs start to start to get a bit weaker and I relax into middle age, I think an electric <laughs> bike is definitely on the cards.
1: We want to make Camden a center of excellence for green jobs, green tech, you know. You know, what what do you think of this? Is it realistic to think that we can have hub of excellence in green tech in Camden, or or should this all just be the job for those in Silicon Valley?
0: So I think it's Absolutely vital for places other than Silicon Valley to get involved in defining what excellence looks like in terms of um, uh, future technologies. There's a real danger that what gets done in Silicon Valley is allowed to define how people live their lives in the rest of the world. And I think, you know, we are all aware in North London that our lives are not like people's lives in North California. Right. And there are enormous opportunities that come from being in London and having, for example, a world class public transport system that are opportunities that people in and around Silicon Valley just do not have, which limits their imagination. Right. So I would say, actually, when Silicon Valley talk about imagination, innovation, disruption, a lot of the time, actually, what comes out of Silicon Valley tech companies is rather unimaginative and undisruptive and so the potential for other places to get involved in creating the future is enormous right? i think the trick is though to not see ourselves as competing in a race with people in silicon valley right and in fact you're you're heading in a different direction and it's a direction we can be confident about
1: yeah fascinating i mean it, it seems to be on the same philosophical um you know, this whole inclusion argument that seems to be very big at the moment, whether it's racial, um, economic, etc. But this could be part of a very big um, argument around technological inclusion. Fascinating.
0: I think that's absolutely right. So inclusion is a really interesting way to think about it. There's, you know, the sense that I think a lot of people have about Silicon Valley type innovation is that they might feel that that's innovation being done to them. And I think the potential is to think about how innovation can be done by people rather than to them right and so to bring a whole community mm. into that discussion is potentially extremely exciting and you would hope leads to better safer fairer greener outcomes
1: yeah i mean it's it's you know tied into the diversity where there's a lot of management thinking at the moment certainly after black lives matter that you need to sort of embrace other voices but but also beyond for a human perspective. But beyond that, there's a, a very big business advantage of embracing that sort of diverse voices because you're going to learn more and you're going to be closer to the actual real customers.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, one of the things, I mean, this sort of gets revealed in different ways throughout history, but one of the things that we've learned recently from various, whether they're protests or uprisings or populist governments. Um, We're sort of learning about the resentments of some people who feel like the last few decades of progress have left them behind in some way or maybe even harmed them in some way. And some of those concerns might be legitimate ones and they might relate to, um, to technological progress as well. So, therefore, it's incumbent on anybody involved in technological innovation to think... Who is really benefiting from this innovation? How do we innovate in such a way that it um, it benefits uh, the many, not the few?
1: Yeah, and and I could see there's there's no better place in the world, uh, more diverse, more interesting, with so much influence, so much diversity than the borough of Camden. And so yeah, what an opportunity you, we could say to those in Silicon Valley to uh, and and others around the world in our quest to try to make a difference to the. Center of Excellence idea in, in, for green jobs in Camden. That's wow. If we had to focus on any technologies that Camden do you think could make a difference in that we should be thinking about? So coming from a university,
0: you know, if I'm thinking about technologies that make sense and would be meaningful for a local area, you know, I think technologies of green innovation, you can easily imagine the, the potential there. There's obviously a, another whole category of, of technological innovation that we haven't really talked about where the benefits of those are likely... So even though Camden might be a a hotbed for those innovations, I mean, you can think of places like the Crick Institute that's a a new kid on the block, right? A massive, in fact, Europe's largest biomedical research lab. Now, the benefits of those sorts of innovations will be felt by the entire world as much as, as by Camden. But there's a really interesting question about how Camden itself can benefit from having places like the Crick Institute and indeed the Alan Turing Institute where I spend some time right on its on its doorstep. Um, and maybe that means you know inviting citizens into those places in order to see and contribute to the research that's, that, that, that's that's being done but maybe there's other stuff that we could talk about as well.
1: you know we definitely want to be talking to people that are doing some amazing things in the within Camden and hopefully beyond Camden. That's been absolutely fantastic to have you here today, Jack. Um, Really appreciate all your time and all the great work you're doing uh, within the borough of Camden and for the world in general. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: That's it for Camdeners. If you'd like more information, please see the links below. This podcast was recorded at Serendipity Studios in Arlington Road Camden for the Camden Clean Air Initiative.